0: Acts of the Apostles in chapter 4 and we may, might read there at the beginning of the chapter Acts 4 at the beginning <coughs> Acts chapter 4 at the beginning and as they spake unto the people the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about five thousand. And it came to pass in the morrow that the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power, and by what name, have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people, and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole? Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under, under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Amen. As the Lord would help us this morning, we might consider together verse 12, Acts 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. The death of Jesus of Nazareth seemed to be the end of the matter as far as most people were concerned. He's gone. He's dead. He's buried. We can forget about him. There is peace in Jerusalem. There probably is a sense of relief and triumph in the hearts of The leaders of the Jews, although they're still a bit anxious in case something happens, and so they do ensure that there is a a guard put on the tomb to make sure that no one would steal his body and pretend that he had risen from the grave. Well, we know that three days later Christ rose, but the resurrection Although, in many ways, there were um, appearances to great crowds, 500 people at one time, remember. It was a private sort of thing. It was to those who were believers that the Lord made his appearance. And so life seemed to go on for weeks and weeks. Indeed, for seven weeks after his crucifixion. And as time goes on, there must be that feeling. We'll get rid of this problem. Life can return to normal in Jerusalem. What a shock then, when the day of Pentecost comes. When in that day, Peter and John and the other apostles, like New people like new men begin to preach boldly and people hear them not only in the, uh, in, in, uh, the Aramaic of the day or in the Greek uh, uh, of the day but in their own tongues and they hear of the wonderful works of God. And shortly after that As Peter and John are going up to the temple, they come across that lame man sitting at the beautiful gate of the temple (coughs) and he's healed. Someone that many people in Jerusalem would recognize, suddenly and completely transformed. And he is there in the temple, leaping and praising God. What's happened? Peter and John explain what's happened. Of how, through Christ, this man was made whole. And they preach the gospel and call them to repentance and tell them Jesus that was crucified has risen in glory and is now the one who works powerfully. Not just bringing physical healing, but spiritual healing, which is what people really need. The authorities come and arrest them. And they put them in prison. And you can see as you read this um, chapter that every effort is made to intimidate them. And as they're brought out and asked to explain themselves, verse 7 by what power, by what name have ye done this? Peter. With the Holy Ghost. Notice there, there is that we might see that initial baptism with the Holy Ghost. That is, there is that uh, New Testament power given to him. He had the Holy Spirit before then, but not in the same way that he had after the day of Pentecost. And he is refilled, as it were. And filled with the Holy Ghost that's what all preachers need that's what you need as you battle on with the various situations in of life knowing more of the power and influence of the blessed spirit in your life has helped well he speaks to them and he gives us bold defense well do you want to know what's happened are you examining us regarding this good deed which has been done he points out the Christ that you crucified. God has raised him. And it's through him that this man stands here whole before you. And then he points out in verse 11, <clears throat> quoting Psalm 118, which we sang. The problem was that they, the leaders, of the church of the Old Testament. The builders of the church as it were. Under God. Had rejected. The very one who was at the centre of things. The cornerstone. The one upon whom everything else depended. The stone that the builders rejected. The same has become the head of the corner. When did that happen? Well it was declared we might see at the resurrection the day that God had made to be that day when it would be announced Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the son of God in power. He always was and now it's so clear he's risen from the grave and Peter goes on and says look beware there is no other saviour There is neither salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And he sets forth before us the exclusive claims of Christ. And they go on and explain that they will keep on preaching this name, keep on preaching this person. Because they have been commissioned to preach. And at the end of the day, it's the only salvation that there is. And dear believer, remember that. Don't be ashamed of the exclusive claims of Christ. And as we consider them this morning, the exclusive claims of Christ, let it speak to any of you here who may as yet be without Christ. This is the one. That you have need of. Two simple things we notice. First of all, we must be saved. And then, secondly, we must be saved by Christ. First of all, we must be saved. Friends, is that not something that many people deny today? I need to be saved? I need to be saved from. I don't feel any problem. I'm quite enjoying life as it is. Is that not the way many are? The careless, they live for the moment. You just live for the moment today. You live for your present experience, and well, you try and order, organize everything so that you can have many as many good experiences and as much happiness as possible. That's all you're to expect from life. How many people just ignore their need of salvation? Perhaps you're here today and you've heard your need, but what you've been doing is pushing it into the distance, especially when you're young and perhaps brought up in a believing household and you see the, the freedoms as you think of it they're not real freedoms, they're actually bondages that other people tie themselves up with but they can seem attractive as freedoms those who go on in unbelief you think, well, perhaps it's something I'll deal with later but notice the words of Peter here there is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. He doesn't say we may be saved. He says we must be saved. You must be saved. And that implies urgency. And you'll notice he applies it to everyone because he says there is none other name under heaven so he's viewing the whole of the earth he's viewing everyone and he is seeing that this is something that applies to all people it's not even just for the jews we we'll back in chapter 3 verse 25 in his preaching uh, we find the apostles is they're calling the people to repent and saying, well, yes, you're the children of the prophets and of the covenant made with our fathers. You're those within the visible church. You need to be saved. You need to repent. But remember this, the promise was, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. The message is coming to you first, but it's for everyone. The boldness, and this must emphasizes you, all of you, each one of you, you personally must be saved. And yet how many people ignore and explain away the problem? We must be saved. Are you saying, does that really apply to me? Do not ignore your guilt before God. That's what many do. They explain things away. They ignore this must by ignoring their guilt before God. How many people think that they are not sinners? Sin's not a problem that I have to deal with. Or if it is a problem, it's something that I can easily make up for. Is it not God's duty to forgive sin? Is that not what He's supposed to do? He's God. He loves people. He loves us all. He'll forgive us. If you believe in God, that's what they think. <coughs> do not explain it away by such foolish thinking. There are those who feel convictions. Perhaps at times you are troubled the wrong things you do. Troubled <coughs> with the thought of God bringing you into account to judgment. Would you try and stifle these thoughts? I don't want to hear these things. Like the person who wakes up with the alarm going and presses the snooze button, opening. Let's just push these things away for a little while. I don't want to think about these things. I want to have peace. You try all that you can to deflect any feelings of guilt over things. Indeed, think of today. People often feel guilty today. But what do they feel guilty about? They feel guilty about the fact that there's man-made global warming <coughs> and we're damaging the planet and we're affecting those who live in Pacific Islands far, far away. that are going to get flooded out. Or think of the poor souls who were flooded out in their own land in recent days. Well, you're to blame for these things and I'm to blame for these things. You feel a bit guilty. That's the way people are. Or, to think of guilt in terms of the fact that there was slavery in bygone days. How many people were taken? Wrongly taken? Wrongly sold into slavery? We might say, wrongly abused? And we sort of said... Are the wealthy benefactors of all that went on. <coughs> That's beside the fact that most people in the Highlands and Islands were living in abject poverty. They might have had freedoms but they were hardly thriving or benefiting from all the wealth that was being created. That was true of most people in our nation. But we're made to feel guilty And what's all that guilt about? It's about things that really have very little to do with us. Things that we have no control over. Yes, you and I are to be good stewards of whatever God gives us, including the environment. So we don't just go about wantonly um, using up resources or destroying the place. To do that is sinful. But at the end of the day, what you do and what I do will make virtually no difference unless everyone agrees to do certain things and as for slavery well you don't get that today do you but you're made to feel guilty over things that you can no influence over what are people doing they're deflecting ideas of real guilt things which are real problems let's not focus on these let's focus on other things what's the problem They're ignoring their guilt before God. They're ignoring or not recognizing the concept of the holiness of God. What are the Ten Commandments? But a transcript of the holiness of God. A declaration that he is pure, that he is holy, that certain things are right. Certain things will always be right. Certain things will always be wrong that right and wrong are absolutes, that stand firm forever. And the Ten Commandments, in the letter and in the spirit (coughs) of the law, are that which God expects of you. A full and perfect keeping of these commandments. Do not ignore your guilt before God, because at the end of the day you know you have not always kept the spirit of those commandments. And if we're honest, we'll realise it. We've not kept the letter of those commandments either. Think of the holiness of God, how unlike God you are, and his dazzling purity, his moral holiness. And what about the justice of God? God is most just. He is a just God who has declared he will never condone sin. You know, people today are always condoning sin. Poo-pooing, it's not really that much of a thing. Even wrongdoing, it, it almost gets explained away. Unless you do something absolutely dreadful. Unless you've got a mass murderer or a rapist. No one really... A bad person does bad things. They're just a victim of circumstances and so on. What do the scriptures tell us? That he is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. They will in no wise acquit the guilty. And if you want the greatest proof of the justice of God, you see that in the cross of Christ. There is the Holy Lamb of God. The sinless one. Who takes a responsibility for the sins of others. And how is he treated? By the Holy Father. A weak old sword against my shepherd. My fellow. Smite the shepherd. Smite him. Let justice be done. doesn't matter who it is that sinned. It might be my closest friend. Will I cover up for him? Will I make light of his wrongdoing? Awake, O sword. The justice of God. Remember, God is holy, what he demands of you. Remember what God's justice warns you about. There will be a just day of judgment when all that you do will be exposed. And the seriousness of sin will be seen. Do not be like many. who ignore their guilt before God. You must be saved. And God's verdict is. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. His sentence is. The soul that sinneth it shall die. <coughs> and it's not just physical death. It's eternal death. It is that hell where. There is that separation from God and his goodness and from anything that makes life tolerable forever and ever and ever in outer darkness. You need a saviour. May Christ show you your need of a saviour, that you're included here. We must be saved or that you would cry out, What must I do to be saved? We must be saved, and yet men ignore guilt. They also ignore the pollution of sin. One of the reasons that we have these healing miracles is that they are, as it were, acted out parables as well as real facts, which show us that man is incapable of saving himself and that he needs the help of God. (coughs) So the current view that so many take on board, that people are good, that man is good, that you're good, that all our... Problems are due to our circumstances. Well, you know, what a poor upbringing they had. They didn't have much education, didn't have much money. Their parents, well, they had problems with drink or with drugs, so what do you expect? Well, it's true that often people do end up following on in the sins of their parents. There's a warning to us there, isn't there? The sins of the fathers are visited upon the children. And they tend to become bolder and get deeper in sin. That's true. But it's not true of all. It's a reminder to us. that our circumstances. They challenge us. They often tempt us to stray. But you and I are responsible for all our actions. Not all those who are, we might say, of poor upbringings little education have little money end up with dysfunctional criminal sort of lives that are planned to do are rich who end up dysfunctional and criminal despite all their education and all their upbringing and all their wealth do not ignore The problem of the pollution of sin. It's such a delusion. Because people can make resolutions. And people can make so many laws to try and curb the effects of sin in society. And they can provide help. And at the end of the day, it doesn't stop wrongdoing. It doesn't solve the problem of the wickedness and the corruption of our own heart. How realistic the Bible is. We must be saved. We need saved from ourselves as well as from the judgment of God. What's the problem with you and with me? Our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We have fallen into sin in our first parent Adam and sin has dominion. Ueth he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Isn't that what we're like? Spiritually dead. Unable to do that which is good. Unreceptive to that which is good. Having our understanding alienated, uh, darkened, being alienated from the life of God which is in us because of that unbelief and pollution of sin, What does that mean? It means that you can throw all the education and all the money and all the improvements at people and society. It makes not one whit of difference. At the end of the day, you still have sinners in bondage to sin. (coughs) Have you felt that bondage to sin? Have you made resolutions? Have you thought at times, I must try better. And it doesn't work. The Bible is preaching to you. Your heart is deceitful. You're in bondage to sin. You need a deliverer. You need a saviour. You need someone who can make you whole in the same way that this man who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple needed to be made whole. He couldn't do it himself. Others couldn't do it for him. Only one could. The saviour, Jesus Christ. And we might say there's the ongoing effects of sin that perhaps you ignore, and yet it's foolish to ignore. Do I need a saviour? Do I really need one? Well, perhaps not yet anyway. But look at this cripple here. Why is he crippled? He was born that way. Why is he crippled? Well, it's the effects of sin. The effects of the fall and the day that thou eatest of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt surely die and death began working in Adam and you could say that disability infected him at that moment and has infected the race since your body is in many ways not as it should be it's holding together but some people seen more obviously as not held as well together as others and soon we're all going to die that's going to be the ultimate result physical death (coughs) this man he needed a deliverer from his lameness you need a deliverer from death We're thankful for doctors and nurses. But all they're doing is putting off the inevitable. You have an appointment with death. You see, that's the wages of sin. And it will lead to God's punishment and an eternal death if you have not saved from those ongoing effects of sin. Every graveyard preaches to you. Every cough and sneeze. Every ache and pain preaches to you. You've got a problem. We're all sinners. And we must be saved. And it should lead you to cry out for help. Well, you'll notice the remedy, secondly. We must be saved by Christ. We must be saved by Christ. He is the saviour. You know, there are many who make out that Jesus is only a good teacher, or an example. If you just follow what Jesus did, if you live the sort of life that Jesus lived and... Listen to his teaching. Now they forget that Jesus actually taught about things they don't believe in. Sin. Hell. That he was God. What about these teachings? It's very easy just to come up with little things which deflect from the reality of the situation. He's a good teacher. He's an example. Friends, without that there's no gospel. He is a teacher. He is a wonderful example. But he's more than that. He is the saviour. You'll notice the word salvation. We have it twice there. Neither is there salvation in any any other. Here is the name whereby we must be saved. The gospel, especially those with deliverance from sin. You'll notice he is not only the saviour, he is the exclusive Saviour. Neither is there salvation in any other. You won't find it elsewhere. Then it's repeated again. There is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. You can make it any clearer. Here are the exclusive claims of Christ all other Saviours are false. They will not save. The gospel is unique. The gospel excludes all others. Jesus therefore could say, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Paul can say there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. What is ever remembered? False religion gives no salvation, and that all without Christ shall perish without Christ. And those who try and mix Christ with works, well, it leaves them in their sin, because Christ is an exclusive saviour. Here were the Pharisees, the builders of the church. What did they do? They perverted the Old Testament. So instead of seeing in it the gospel of God's grace that we read of in Isaiah 45, the Lord saying, I'm a just God and a saviour. Look to me and be saved. And they're saying, well, you do this, that, and the next thing, and that will save you. No, it's only Jesus who can save. The one way of salvation. And unless you look to him, and unless you exclusively look to him, unless you cast off all reliance upon yourself, upon what you do, and rely wholly on him, realising it's not your reliance, but what he did that saves, well, there is no hope, but in Christ alone. The believer is one who has come to depend on Christ alone. If you're a believer today, don't you rejoice with Paul when he says, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where I glory in, what he did on the cross. What I want to hear is the preaching of the cross. Because like Paul, you will agree, I determined To know nothing else amongst you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. You'll notice that he is not only the only saviour, he is the suitable saviour. He's a unique person. There is none other name, the name standing for the person, He is the only Savior. Aren't you thankful that the Lord Jesus is who he claims to be? God and man, two natures, two distinct natures, and that one person forever. It's because of that he's able to be the mediator, the go between, between God and man. You know, if he hadn't been man, He could not have represented us. He wouldn't be a suitable representative. He wouldn't have been able to die and rise again the way he did. He would not be one who really was with us and understand us. But you see, there he is, because he is man. He can be our representative. He can stand in our place. He can bear the sin and the punishment that was due to his people. Because he is God. It means he's not just an ordinary man. He's God in our nature, who took our nature, a human nature, that in our nature he might suffer. as one who is God he rules over all he's able to give himself he's able to be the mighty saviour he's able to be present with his people he's able to give life to those who trust in him as the life giving God he's worthy of your trust because of who he is the God-man. And what a unique mission he has. There is none other name under heaven given. Notice that word given among men. It's a reminder too is that God provided the one who died on the cross. He sent him on a mission. God sent his son into this world. He gave his son. It's a reminder, too, that the God who you have offended has provided the remedy in himself, and that remedy, therefore, we can be assured is acceptable to God. It's not as if we are going to him and saying, Well, will you accept this? It's the best we've been able to think up. Rather, it's a case of God saying, Here's the peace plan. You've offended me. Here's the peace plan, and here's the remedy. And it's my remedy. And what grace God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And ever he says to you, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect in whom my soul delighteth. You can have confidence as you rest your hope in him because he has come to fulfil God's plan of salvation to die that he might save his people. You must be saved by Christ. Are you looking to him? <coughs> well, notice finally, he's the Proven Savior. The Proven Savior. <coughs> what are they talking about here? They're being examined about a man who has been healed. Here is Christ, a healing saviour. The man has been healed in verse 9. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole? and It's interesting that word there for whole is more or less the same word that you have for salvation. In verse 12. In other words, the physical and the spiritual are linked together. There can only be the physical healing because Christ is the one who actually deals with all the problems of sin, including the physical outworking of sin. You know, the physical outworking of sin, as it outworks in your life, dear believer, is going to be overcome one day because you're going to be raised in glory. Isn't that wonderful? The body, with its aches and pains and deformities, gone forever. What a wonderful day for God's people the resurrection will be. Not for the unbeliever. It will be a day of woeful shame and contempt. The souls of believers will rejoice to be reunited with their bodies. The soul of the unbeliever will be fearful in the thought of being reunited with his body to experience physical as well as spiritual torments but you see for God's people he's a healing saviour wounded for our transgressions bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him, by his stripes we are healed it's because he's dealt with sin he can bring healing to this man and the message is, therefore, he's the real cornerstone. He is the one we were to rely on for salvation. There's the proof in the healing, that he is the saviour of sinners. And here's more proof. He's a risen saviour. The one that you put to death, is alive. He's triumphed over sin in the grave. For his people. You've got that in verse 10. Whom ye crucified. Whom God raised from the dead. By him. Doth this man stand before you whole. In other words. He's dealt with sin. He's fully paid the price of sin. And therefore. He is able. To save. Able to save to the uttermost all who come to God through him. You think of how many of those who crucified him had come to believe in him. There's a proof he's a saviour. The healing of the man and the resurrection. Never belittle the resurrection. If there was no resurrection, there'd be no hope. But he's risen. The death and resurrection go together and rejoice in a risen saviour. And then there's the fact he's the believer's saviour. Peter and John and those who had come to faith, 5,000 people, what have they found? Joy and peace and hope. Christ, do you say? Can He really save me? Look at God's people. See what He's done for them. Some of those people, well, they were all Jerusalem sinners, weren't they? You put them to death. God raised them from the grave. Repent. And many did. And therefore, however deep your sin is, Christ can deal with sin. Friends, take Christ seriously. Realize that you need to be saved and that you must be saved by Christ. Trust in him. Do a believer, be unashamed of the exclusive claims of Christ. And let others know, this man saves sinners. Let us pray. Lord, bless thy word to us. We thank Thee for Thy truth. And we rejoice that we worship a risen Redeemer. We pray that Thou wouldst draw us to him. That Thou wouldst keep us ever looking to him. And that we might know the joy of that salvation which is to be found in him. We thank Thee that he not only deals with the guilt of sin and the pollution of sin, but ultimately... Deal with all the consequences of sin, all its effects. We rejoice in Christ. May many come to know Him. Lord, work we pray for thy great name's sake. Amen. Amen. We conclude in Psalm 67. Psalm 67, and from the beginning of the Psalm, the first version of the Psalm, Psalm 67. And from the beginning, Lord, bless and pity us, shine on us with thy face, that the earth thy way and nations all may know thy saving grace. Let people praise Thee, Lord, let people all thee praise, or let the nations be glad, and psalms their voices raise. The whole psalm to God's praise. Lord bless and be That as follows. The service will be at 6.30pm and a prayer meeting on Thursday at half past seven. And that will be taken by Mr Tim Nixon. As yet there is no preacher arranged for next Sabbath. The services will be at the usual times. And as a reminder from Mrs Kirsty Ferrier that the next prayer meeting of the Knox, Melville Knox Highland School Stephen Committee will, God willing, be held on Tuesday the 24th at 7.30pm here in this building. The meeting will be led by Reverend Davide Ratti, and a short update will be given. All are warmly invited to join in. That's on Tuesday coming at half past seven here in West Hill. All these intimations, God willing. Let us conclude with the benediction. <coughs> the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Amen.